Good evening. Today is November 15th, and we're studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's step is step six, and our speaker tonight is Marla. Welcome and thank you. Thank you very much, Sherry. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, okay, thank you. I'm going to start my timer too. It gives me a visual. Hi, everybody. My name's Marla, and I'm really glad to be here. I am a recovered uh, compulsive eater and extremely grateful to be able to say that today. Um, before I start, I need to pray for just a minute. Sometimes I can pray on my own and then just get rocking. But you know what? Today I feel real scattered, just like there's so many things I'm trying to say. I don't know if this is going to come out and make sense in the order um, that I say it. So I'm just going to take a moment to ask God into this. God, I, I ask you to please direct my thinking. Divorce me from ego from pride from trying to look good um, help me make this real God for somebody and use me as a vessel to make sense for someone and share the gifts that I've been given in this program Amen. thank you guys um I need to turn my will and my life over to my higher power because that's what we're here to talk about today is how my life has um not we're not here to talk about my life, but I'm here to talk about my life and how my life has been changed in this amazing program. Um, I'm going to just start with a few minutes of my story uh, before I get into talking about step six. Um, I entered Overeaters Anonymous um, in my early teens, well, sorry, late teens when I was about 18, started in there. Um, and then I left OA for you know, just I dabbled in OA. I did a little bit, and I just didn't get it. Then I started it again in college um, in the eighties, and got some of it. Made some nice friends, got some support, you know, and didn't get it. <laughs> um, tried, you know, I just didn't understand the powerless thing. Couldn't get that. And then I tried again in my thirties, and now I'm still in my thirties, as you can see. But no, um, a couple years older than that. Um, so I tried OA about three times previously, um, and it didn't take for me. Um, so what was my problem in the beginning? Uh, you know, my eating life was, uh, it started off where food was fun. Food was a pleasure. I enjoyed it, and it was just a comfort to me. And food progressed through my life, and in a lot of those early years, uh, it was a pleasure. I didn't have a lot of bad consequences from it. But over time, as many of us know in this program, that our disease is progressive. And as things got rocking in my life when I was about 14 in high school, that's when the eating became disordered. Now, I never binged, excuse me, I was never a perjurer, I was never anorexic or restrictor, but I was just a constant eater. And still, though, into my 20s, I, I was still definitely eating way, way bigger amounts than other kids. Food was so much more important to me than my friends. Even when I was six years old, I noticed as a little brownie at one of my brownie meetings, we um, they, they had one meeting where we were making chocolate chip cookies. And, and all the little girls, we were upstairs in the kitchen with the lady. And, you know, she gave every kid, our leader, gave every one of us a little Dixie cup with our own chips in it. And I was so excited. This was such a big deal to me. And when the um, other girls were finished and the cookies were in the oven, 
All the other girls went down to the basement to play, but not me. I was hanging around that leader offering to help her clean up. And just, I mean, it was just always more important to me than others. By the time I got in my 20s, uh, in college, food became my life. It was all about the binging. I never got drunk in college, but I sure had a lot of binge parties. My weight was up and down and up and down. And over the years, I did, um, I'm just going to kind of skip up there. I, I've run the gamut of losing weight, gaining weight. I tried multiple diets, uh, weight loss clinic, you know, Atkins, Weight Watchers many times. I went to three eating disorder treatment centers over the years when my binging got really out of control. I was mostly a binger. And I was also a person that would walk around with like a steady IV drip of constant intake of food, high sugar, high fat, all day long, but also with the binging. Usually the high binging corresponded with any attempts to diet. What I found is that in my peak stages, at my top weight, I'm going to share my screen for a second here. I hope I do this correctly. Um, let's see if we move that. Can you guys see that okay? Somebody? No? Okay. So this is what I look like today. I want you to know um, I'm actually very excited because one reason for my gratitude is I just celebrated my 10th year of back-to-back -back abstinence last week. And I um, am maintaining a 120 pound loss and have been now for about 10 years. And more importantly, the gift has been the peace of mind. And let me just go on to show you. So this is me a couple of years ago, a trip in Alaska. Um, this was one of my high weights. I have no clue how much I weighed there, but it was my stellar beach beauty body. Um, here I was at my 30th anniversary party. No, my 20th or 25th. And I was pretty high there. My top weight was 284 pounds. And that's on a five foot one and a half frame. So in my highest weight, I was wearing size 5X uh, dress and, uh, and then 32 pants. So I was living in a morbidly obese body for many, many years of my life. And this was a pretty good visual of the difference when I took off the weight. And, oh, sorry, that's not what I wanted to show you. Go away. Okay, so I'm back. Did I take off the screen share? So now that I am a recovered woman, I'm going to share with you how this happened. I could not keep weight off for 10 minutes, much less 10 years. Okay. Anytime I was dieting, I was constantly thinking about food. And, and so food became my life and it was my, it was everything I lived for. And I had kids, I had a husband, I had a great job, um, but I just, was walking around like a living dead, like a zombie. And this thing took me down. And so it was after many, many years and the last night of my, um, I hoped God my last binge. I, I had my last binge. I sneaked out of the house at 1030 at night. I lied to my husband and said I had to go get sticky notes of all things. And being there, uh, I went out and I brought it. I think it was a box of ice cream sandwiches or something. There were like 12 of them. I got some other crap. And I literally lived 10 minutes away from the place. Or no, sorry, five minutes away or less. And so it was so late at night, I knew I couldn't bring them into the house. And so I literally was driving around my neighborhood, just killing time. And I ate all of the ice cream within that 10 minutes. I couldn't go home. I couldn't let it go to waste. 
So here I came again, 12 years ago, my Abby found me. And I remember walking into my first OA meeting again. And I went to that podium to get my chip of desire and thought, God, will somebody please get control? That's where I was. And so I came into the program and I was extremely willing to do anything at that point. I had been beaten and bloodied. In fact, I walked into OA after I had already lost like over 100 pounds in a commercial program. And I was rapidly gaining the weight back. I think I gained about 30 pounds back in a matter of a week, excuse me, a, a month. And I saw this new life of being a normal size just rapidly being pulled away. So it's terrifying to have it and see it going away. So I came into program and I was willing. That time, everything was so out of control. I realized I have no power of choice. I have no power of control. And I knew I needed somebody to take control over me. So I came in very willing. I got a sponsor the first night. I did everything she told me to do. Um, I called in my food. I weighed and measured. I uh, made three phone calls a day. I did a writing assignment every day. I called my sponsor every day, committed my food, had to call him for, for a while. I was in a very, very structured format program for the first 10 months of program. But I did it because I was desperate. I knew on my own power, running life according to my self-will, I had dug myself into an absolute desperation hole. And I could not be happy with food. I could not be happy without food. And so I came to understand that Marla living life with herself as the boss has gotten me into this mess. I was living a life based on fear. I was living a life based on fakiness, phoniness, trying to be who others or I thought they wanted me to be. I was self-absorbed. I was self-seeking. I learned in the program from working steps one through five, just what the nature of my problem was. Number one is I had the allergy of the body. That I, There are certain foods that my body literally cannot handle physically. And I have a different reaction to them than a normal eater would have. And they propel me to keep on eating. Um, and number two, I have the obsession of the mind the mind that will eventually lead me to pick up the very foods that are killing me, the very foods that I know I can't stop, but something convinces me that this time it's going to be different. Oh, it's my birthday. You know, today I'm just going to have one. It's going to be different this time. And I finally understood in this program, uh-uh, girl, that's not how it works. I have a brain that will get hijacked by myself. My brain can know today. Don't eat that. That's going to kill you. Don't eat that. Stay away from that. Don't touch it. If you remember, you just had that yesterday and you threw it away. All of that stuff, I couldn't make go away by myself. The program has taught me I need a spiritual awakening, something bigger than me to stop my brain from jumping into the place of hijack, where all of a sudden today, putting a gun to my head and pulling the trigger is no longer dangerous. It was yesterday. But today it's not, you know, because it's my birthday, because I've been really good. I haven't pulled the trigger on my gun for the last five weeks. I've been really good for five weeks. So today when I pull the trigger, it won't hurt. And that's the lie that my disease would tell me. So I needed a power greater than myself to come in there and stop that. Because on my own power, there's nothing I can do to stop my brain from getting hijacked from myself. 
the believing the lies. This time it'll be different. Today the stove won't burn me. Okay. I needed a power greater than myself. So I did the work. I didn't need to be convinced in step one. I was there. I mean, that's what my desperation said. I can't do this. I cannot get well on that. Step two, I came to believe that a power greater than Marla could be the power of the group, could be a higher power of, that created me, whatever. But it wasn't me. No matter what I did, there was nothing I could do to make myself ever stop wanting food. I could diet. I could white knuckle. But you could never make me stop thinking about it. I could never make me stop wanting. Therapy didn't work. Hypnosis didn't work. Nothing out there, no human power could have made me stop. No weight loss, no self-help books, no diets, no shots, whatever the hell they were. I'm sorry about the pieces. That's when I was convinced. I, I was just convinced. I can't make that happen. When you're powerless and you know it, you know it. Okay. So when I was there and I was cooperating with the program, I understood. I came to learn in the big book how self-will run riot is what had caused me to live so uncomfortably in my own skin that I had no other options other than thinking that the food that would medicate my pain was the only solution. Okay, My living in selfishness, my living in uh, resentment, my living in self-seeking and being fake and phony and being what I thought people wanted me to be and lying and manipulating so I could get what I wanted from you. That Those were my character defects and fear. The fear that drove me, you know, it tells us in the book, you know, Driven by a hundred forms of fear, we step on the toes of others. Think about any character defect you have. Why would I gossip? That's it. That's well, it's because of fear. It's low self-esteem. I need to convince myself somehow that I'm okay, right? So thank God I did the work. I, I did the work. I studied the book. I surrendered a higher power. I realized without God, I'm screwed. I am literally screwed. There is no way. I, I can diet. Well, I couldn't by the end, but all the way through, I could diet. I just could never stay to it, right? I could put the food down for periods of time for a while, but it'd always come back. I'd always have my brain hijack me and tell me that Hershey's was going to be okay this time, or that this time I could just have the measured half cup of ice cream. I believed those lies, and nothing I could do would stop my brain from believing them. So in order to get to the spiritual awakening, I had to turn my will and my life over to the power of God. Now, in the beginning, I was not a spiritual woman. I believed in God, but I didn't believe that a God could care about me. There was no personal connection. And so what did I do? I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to care of a God I didn't understand, a God I didn't know, a God I didn't believe would work for me. So why did I do it? I did it because I was desperate. No other choice. Either I'm going to die, I'm going to get all that weight back, and I'm going to die fat and unhappy and spiritually and physically and emotionally dead, or I'm going to try this. There's nothing else for me, and I was convinced of it. I'm nope. a warning, Marla. Thank you. Thank you. The only thing I didn't try was surgery. Um, and I knew that wouldn't work because I knew that surgery is just going to change the body. And nothing to change the desire to eat or the hijacking that would happen in my brain. Nothing. So I didn't bother with that. So I did my fourth step. And in doing so, again, the decision to turn my will and my life over to care of God in step three 
what does that mean when you don't really have a God yet? <laughs> it means I'm going to act like I have a God. I would pretend I have a God. And so, well, what did they tell me to do in the problem? They said, hey, you got to look at yourself. You got to do a fearless and moral inventory and figure out where you have gone astray, where your own behaviors have created the mess that you're in. They told me right in here that somewhere I made my decisions in the past. The decisions I made in my past have contributed to my present misery. Okay. So life that I'm living it on self-will creates my fighting with my husband. My unmet expectations with other people create me feeling insecure or all alone in the world. And me wanting you to desperately like me will create me to be fake and dishonest and to gossip and to do everything to make you think I'm wonderful. I don't really worry about being wonderful. I just want you to think I'm wonderful. And I want them to think at work that I'm the best counselor they have in that school. And I want to be the best sponsor. These are the things that when I got honest and looked at myself in my fourth step, and then I shared them in my fifth step, oh my gosh, it became clear to me. Guess who's the problem of my own life? It isn't my husband. It isn't my kids. It isn't the job. I can change all of that outside stuff. But I am my problem. I'm looking at the problem. Selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty, fear. The four main character defects in the big book that we are told to do in our inventory to look at, those are the things that made me eat. So when you get to step five, and then I shared it with somebody, and in step five, the wonder is, I realized it. I learned the truth. I thought all the time it was your guy's fault. I thought it was everybody else. It was my parents' fault that they suicide, and that's why I am today. It's my brother's fault because he blew. It was everybody else's fault, but no, I chose my own thoughts. I had skewed thinking. I wanted everyone else to fix me. So step five then led to step six. What does that say? We're entirely ready to ask God to remove. Let me see here. I want to not screw it up. Step six. I was like, what do you say about step six? It's one paragraph in the big book, right? One paragraph. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So how do you get entirely ready? This is what I was led to. You know what? By the time I did a really heavy-duty study of step four, I worked my butt off to be as honest with myself as I could. And then I shared it and got the second opinion of the sponsor when I gave it away in step five. Step six, entirely ready. It was a no-brainer. It says, I realized how the life, the way I'd been living it in my character defects had become objectionable to me. How is it objectionable? Constantly ill at ease in my own skin. I'm constantly turning to food to be comfortable. I can't take a breath in the morning without sticking my hand in the chocolate bag in my nightstand. Is that objectionable to me? Hell yeah. Okay. So, if you do step one, two, three, four, five, by the time I got to step six, there was no question in my mind that I was entirely ready for it to be taken away. I didn't want to live like that anymore. I wanted peace. I wanted serenity. And today I have it. So what happened after six? And I asked God to remove it for me in seven. And then from that point on, I did all the other steps. 
I'm not going to go on with those because we're not at them yet. But I'm going to tell you today, today I am a person who has the gift that I believe God planted in me from the very beginning. I always had the ability to feel peaceful and to be serene no matter what's going on around me. My life sucks sometimes. I got people dying like you do. I have job threats. Sometimes my kids aren't always doing the right thing. But today I have a higher power and a life I live that allows me to walk through those. And I ask God to carry me through. And I found a relationship with a higher power today that carries me. It's way different than it was 10 years ago. But this program, today I don't want those foods. It's easy not to eat food for 10 years, not to think about food when you just don't want to. And I will stop. You're giving me the sign, right, Leslie? Time up. So I, I hope it made sense. I hope God helped me bring it out there and, and that it was helpful to somebody here. And I will pass with that. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Marla. Um, so, um, oops, sorry, I just lost my place. Where are we? Oh, here we are. Um, we're now going to open up the meeting for questions or three-minute shares. As this is a big book, study sharing and questions should be related specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. Um, all righty. So um, if you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone. And the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. All right, so we've got our timekeeper um, set for three minutes for our shares. Um, and Leslie, would you announce when people's time is up? Okay. All right, do we have any hands raised to get started? Yeah, I, I got my hand raised. Uh, I'm Kristen, a recovered compulsive overeater in Houston, Texas. Uh, thank you so much, Marla. That was really great. Um, I really appreciated the emphasis on it was me, it was me, it was me, because um, that was one of the things that I had to come to terms with when I started that my circumstances weren't making me eat and they weren't ruining my life. Um, I was doing it. And that is a bitter pill to swallow when I'm used to it being other people's fault or um, I, I suffer from um, bipolar disorder. And I was like, I was really enjoying blaming everything on that. But once it got fixed, once I got on the proper medication and I was stable, I was still in all those defects and I was still in all those addictions. So um, I had to get the rest of my life right. Um, unlike you though, when I got to step six, I was not entirely ready to have my defects removed. I, I liked a couple of my defects. Uh, gossiping is fun. Um, I get a rush from it. Like I do from food. Right. And that's, okay. That's one that's hard to let go of. And then, um, I, pretty open about this, but I don't like to look bad to people. In fact, I, that shame I feel when I look bad is really awful. So I want to lie to make myself look better. And that's another character defect that I have been working really hard on. And, um, but 
I believe that just like everything in this program has come to me, not all at once, but over time that when it's time, when my higher power is ready for me to, those defects will be removed. I just have to do the work. I can't just sit around and wait like, oh, one day I'll stop lying. I have to do the work. I have to be honest. And then hopefully eventually that desire to will start to ebb, just like my desire to kill myself with food has ebbed. So thanks so much for your share. And with that, I will pass. And so the next person to share is going to be Mary M. Let me ask you to unmute. There you go. Thank you. Um, my name is Mary M. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, thank you so much for, um, for hosting the meeting. And Marla, that was really a great share. I heard you speak before, and I'm really amazed at, uh, you know, I can't imagine having 10 years and, uh, you know, and having neutrality. Um I have a question. Um, you you had mentioned that you um, that you weighed and measured. Do you still weigh and measure your food after ten years? Yes, I do actually. Um, so I'm also so in addition to being a compulsive overeater, I can so I have certain foods that trigger the physical allergy of craving for me, the phenomenon of craving, and those are my alcoholic foods that I cannot touch in any way, shape, or form ever. Um, whether it's 20 years from now or today, um, they'll always create that phenomenon of craving in me. But what I also had to understand is some of us, including me, are volume addicts, okay? I am addicted to large quantities of food. So even if it's a food that is a safe food for me because it doesn't trigger a phenomenon of craving, um, I, if I don't rein in my food and put um, safe boundaries around my food, I'm like a three-year-old. I will go and take anything I can do and whatever, no rules. Yeah. I mean, like when Weight Watchers used to say to me, this food is free. Oh my God. You know, they tell, I would literally eat the entire head of cabbage. Okay. So it could be any food. So I've realized as a compulsive eater with a sick brain, I, I mean, I don't have a sick brain when it comes to not running in front of the highway or to taking good care of my kids, but I do have a sick brain when it comes to food. Okay. I don't see reality when it comes to food. Even today, I know that I could and would lie to myself. I don't know normal portion sizes. I don't understand what full feels like because I'm disconnected from that portion part of my body. Okay. So for me, externally, weighing and measuring my food makes me safer. I do not eat huge quantities of food. I eat the quantities and the portion sizes that my nutritionist told me were healthy. And so when do I get full? I still don't have an off switch. Again, if you put an entire plate of lasagna there in front of me, I would keep eating, even though it's not a red food for me. But when I weigh and measure my portion, I go, oh, oh, I'm supposed to be full now. How do I know that? Because the weighed and measured portion is gone. Otherwise, my eye doesn't know normal. You, you bring a whole tray of something to me. I still see that as what am I, what are you guys going to have? That's mine, <laughs> right? So if that's the kind of eater that you are, not all of us are. Some people, they only overeat when they're eating their binge trigger foods, right? But for me as a volume eater, putting safe boundaries around my food is the weighing and measuring. And it makes me, um, thank you, Leslie. That is so cute. That little heart that dances around uh, that that I'll pass with that, but feel free to call me too, Mary, if you need. I put my number in the chat. 
Okay, great. Now we're going to go with Teresa. Did you hold on? Are you good? Okay. I'm good. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Teresa. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I'm just new to the room. I will not tell you what happened in another room because I'm a Christian, but it was whacked out weird. Somebody hacked in and I had to leave fast. I'm not going to tell you what happened. Tell me, I'll tell you after the meeting. I can't tell you. It's just horrible. Anyway, um, I just started OA again a couple of a week ago. Uh, I have a sponsor now. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, is my higher power. Um, I, uh, I had a little bit of a problem today, and we'll go into it. Um, but I realized that God used, higher power used it as a great um, learning uh, lesson for me. Uh, I got upset over something I did. I shouldn't have done it. I know why I did it, but my reaction was straight to the food. And I did, I went to the food and I destroyed my abstinence. But the thing I learned more from it is mind blowing. Uh, I learned that the food was never the answer. It was only a, a, a way of stifling myself and my feelings and emotions. Uh, I was taught that. I'm not saying it's my mother's fault that she taught me that, but that's what I was taught. And I realized that that was wrong. And she died obese and I'm not going to die obese because I choose to live life. I choose to have a better life than she did because she died, couldn't barely walk to the bathroom. I'm not living that life. And that's why I'm in the rooms. Um, but what I learned um, also that my father's a food pusher and that there was pizza in the, I'm just gonna say what it is cause I'm sorry, I don't mean to say a food, I'm sorry. There was something in the refrigerator that was bad and he expected me to eat it cause he didn't wanna eat it. And I said, I don't wanna eat this. And he said, so we paid for it. It's as if I'm, I'm like the garbage can or something. I don't get it. It's, it's, it's something that woke me up and I said, wow, this is where I've been living all these years, living with this lie that just because we bought it and I don't want to eat it, you have to eat it because we can't throw it out because it's food. And that blew my mind. I said, wow, this is what I've been doing for so many years in my life since I was a child that just because I'm obese, that I have to be the one to eat it because I'm always the one who doesn't say no to food. All these things just flowed through my head today and I journaled some of it and I went, wow, I'm not gonna live like this anymore. I'm not gonna eat this anymore just because you don't want it and I have to eat it because you don't wanna throw it out. I'm not living that life anymore. I'm awake now. I don't know what you wanna call it, awakening a realization, a revelation, whatever you want to call it. I'm living for my better health now. Time, Teresa. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Now we're going to go to Catherine A. Hi, Catherine A, Recovered Postal Reader. Uh, Marla, thank you so much for uh, for the share. I loved your story. and. Um, I wanted to to ask you about uh, about step six because I I appreciated 
that you you talked about step six in that you by the time you had worked the other steps you were ready to for your higher power to to take away those those character defects so you'd step six and achieving that willingness was it was just a natural next step and i i like that you called that out because that was that was my experience with step six as well when i was working the steps and then i finished going through the steps you know i made my amends and i you know started moving into into 10 11 and 12 and and then i realized I was still holding on to some stuff. There were still there were still some defects that I wasn't willing to give away, or I'd become I'd lost connection with that willingness I had when I was doing six to begin with. And so I, you know, I I immediately went back and both through step ten and just and just going back and looking at step six again. I I you know deepened that willingness and I and I keep going back to it uh, in recovery very frequently to build that willingness again. So wondering if you have any experience with that. Yes, 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 yes. Um, totally. So the bigger defects for me, yeah, well, you know, I was reading in the 12 and 12, there's a lot of good stuff in the 12 and 12 from AA guys. They actually have more than one paragraph, step six. And it's, it's really a good one. Um, the thing that I realized, like, we give away in the beginning, the or we're willing to ask God to remove them and to work toward correcting our part in our behavior. Um, I can't stop the impulse from happening. Like, I am by nature, I wake up an untreated, selfish woman in addiction. Okay, until I connect with God and plug in right away, that's going to be my auto default position. Okay, I am by nature that. Okay, my biggest areas, the fear, the dishonesty, fakiness, you know, people pleasing, all that junk, those were extremely noticeably objectionable in my life. And you know, the, what, what the big book does tell us about that on page 76 is it says, and they're talking about, do we build the foundation? Step five. And then if we can answer to satisfaction, then we look at step six. Willingness is indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? That's like, for me, the bingo. When I first did my fifth step, sixth step, seventh step in the beginning, not every defect was objectionable. So when they become objectionable, then I become aware of them. It's just like the food. We can stay at that low level of pain, you know, and gain weight. Well, when I reach 150, then I'll get serious. 160, right? It keeps upping the ante. So for me, Catherine, in the beginning, I only know what I know, right? I experienced the most glaring defects and I saw how they were objectionable. Two years into program, I did another um, straight inventory just on my relationship with my husband. Because I became aware of tons of things in my marriage that I had been doing that were so wrong that I just became aware of. So I can't begin to care about things I don't know or things that I don't care about, right? I can't fake objectionable. But little by little, as the onion peels, I learn and I see how in my daily life through 10, 11, 12, what I'm doing, this isn't working for me anymore. 
And this part, this uh, Torah Torah Tesla, it's not working anymore. It's really easy to give up the things that are noticeably, obviously going to cause you the biggest problems with other human beings and make you look bad, right? But the more subtle ones, like someone was talking about the joy of gossip, stuff like that. Ooh, I like being in the midst. I like being excited by it. I can't deal with them until I'm aware of them. And not just aware, but until they become objectionable and painful enough for me to ask for them. That was my experience, and it continues to be so. All right. So I think at this point, we can go ahead and pause the recording, and we'll continue with shares.